All right, television commentator, school instructor, and former AJ Foyt IndyCar driver, Brian Till. Uh, if you could describe this dinner we just had in one word, what would it be? Oh, Did I say Bill? You said, I said <laughs> What would it. it be? No, no, go with it. Yeah. Oh. We're live. No, mics no. Are hot. You, you just hot mics. And I completely forgot, see? What um, would it be? It's just a fucking word. <laughs> Spicy. It's all right. Yeah, okay. It's all right. Yep. Stop yep. and hold. Plus 30. <laughs> <laughs> and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder radio. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. I'm your host, Ryan Eversley. And I'm the less known guy, Sean Heckman. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Well, you better be doing great because we're headed to the airport, my friend, on day 34 of season three. Wrapping this thing up after a 13,000 mile trip across 25 states to bring you guys 29 episodes for free of your favorite podcast in motorsports. That's based around dinner. For free. We met up with Brian Till. Brian B. Till. Brian Till is a former IndyCar driver, now more known as an on-air commentator, as well as race steward and director. Uh, Brian's a really cool story because he's kind of done it all in the sport. Uh, he, He did everything right in the junior categories, won a bunch of stuff, won a bunch of championships, got a couple of opportunities in IndyCar. Uh, and then transition to it to a career in broadcasting. But since then, he continues to instruct. He's now entered life as a race steward, still doing broadcasting. He's a guy who, we hate the expression, guy who wears many hats. Uh, and actually, I've never seen Brian wear a hat because his hair is glamorous. It is perfect every time. Uh, but if you wanted to wear proverbial hats, he'd have a lot of them. So uh, we learned a lot of things about Brian. Uh, he, uh, he talked about racing in the 8500. Driving for AJ Foyt for one race. Uh, chartering private aviation for every race. Because that, he's balling out. Balling out. Balling out. The fun of being a driver steward that's a former driver. And life with Dorsey Schrader. Uh, so I am not making this up. We legitimately met on National Hair Day. What? Yeah, that's no joke. I didn't know that. Uh, at the Cantina Laredo in Columbus. Ohio. I had enchiladas, but I also shared nachos with Brian Till, which is how I know he's a good dude. Uh, I enjoyed my chicken sandwich. You did not have a chicken sandwich. I did have you a did chicken not. sandwich. At the Mexican restaurant. Yeah. You had a chicken sandwich at the, the Mexican, Mexican sandwich. You did. Dude. It was called. I, we can't get to Atlanta fast enough It was here. called El Sandwich de Pollo. That's what they called it? Yeah, yeah. Really? El Sandwich de Pollo. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Produce a yeah, receipt. Yeah. Yeah, Let's yeah. see a receipt. Yeah, I've got everything. Let's see it. Do you guys know I'm originally from Cleveland? Dario! This has nothing to do with you right now, that, what okay? Is, what the hell? Not everything is about you. By the way, that, yeah, Dario's driving the car. All right, we're moving on. Believe it. Acura MDX. Uh, and, of course, it was sponsored. This whole thing was sponsored. Thanks to our sponsors. Sponsors. Play. Press play. No, no, no. Who are they? Oh, we have to say the name? Yeah, you have to say the name. That's uh, how this works. That's it. Yeah, yeah. If you want a free podcast, who is it? you need sponsors. I forgot who it was. You really don't know who we're talking about. Who are the sponsors? 
The tire company? Oh, God. A continental tire. Boom. I'm a monkey. Yeah. Marketing. <laughs> you just got marketed. Marketed. Lubing the deals. Brian Till. Meow. All right, we're going to start in five, four, three, two. You made it. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is how it goes. <laughs> Join us. With, well, with, with you utensils. Just, you sit down. We'll take, take care of it. All right, we're broadcast professionals. Oh, how long have oh. you been here? Oh, uh, you dick. We literally <laughs> had... <laughs> Close to the bar? Yeah, well, it's the electrical, really. But I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll lie and say that I'm close to the bar. I'm drunk already. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Let's get you some drinks. See, and this is like the challenge. Of which direction and how to put it on? Have you never put one of these on I'm before? I think I'm pretty sure he just doesn't want to mess up no. his hair. Ah, yeah, exactly. Your hair is possibly more glamorous than Is ever. it spectacular? It's, it's fantastic. It's pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. feel like I'm doing a broadcast. It feels wrong uh, <laughs> because I'm drinking. <laughs> wait, wait. Me, why are you wearing pants? I will be soon. Let's yeah. say, isn't that just part of the job? Soon it'll be like Dorsey. <laughs> 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 um, this, is, this is a little different than uh, your line of work because the, the ambient sounds of eating and people in the background, that's actually part of the experience. It's like kind of crunch potato yeah, exactly. tortilla chips. Yep. Yep. I like it. You know, good. just like on, yeah. uh, on TV. You're two packets in. Oh, yeah. No, no. We're about to go two packets in once, yeah. once we get our It took a little while to get our drinks. Strangely, uh, Sean's diet of Monster Energy drinks and chicken sandwiches. Create headaches? Not great for you. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Do you know how old I am? No. How old are you? How, I want, I'm, I'm curious what you think. Take a guess. We just found out how old you are. Yeah. 73. Yeah. <laughs> you look great. Damn good. Yeah. <laughs> Damn good. <laughs> I don't know. Take a guess. Early early 40s? Uh, close enough, 38. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, it's crazy the range of people. It's like some people think I'm like 50. <laughs> no. Like Eddie Gossage, not joking, legitimately thought I was 48 last year. Yeah, uh, I was uh, thinking. Doug Bowles thought the yeah. same thing. See, I was thinking 30s was too young, not because of the way you look. Oh, no, you can say it because it's the way I look. No, it's I'm not totally the way fine you with look. That. It's you can't say it's my maturity because no, we all fucking persona. know that. My, of being completely mature and wiser. 40 plus is kind of where you were from a maturity standpoint. Well, yeah, I'm angry. I yeah. should say mature. Yeah, maturity is not no. accurate. Anger or just sort of like a kind of deflated persona maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Just like beaten. Beaten down. Beaten. Yeah. 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 Wait till you get to be 57. Well, that, that's Which what we were talking about. We were just about. talking about this. For 57, like, nice job. Yeah. What's the secret? A lot of plastic surgery. Like, I legitimately yeah. thought you were yeah. like mid 40s. But I need to have my eyes done. See? Now oh, here it comes. Now see? this is why you see? know he's been on TV. Look. See all the skin? Okay. Now if I did that, uh -huh. see? No, see, see? I, like yeah. I'm blind to all that stuff. Like when girls are like, yeah, I have to get rid of this or that. I'm like, I well, then, you, you need to be blind to that. You just say. No, no, I literally am like, I wouldn't know. Like if it's here, I, I'm pretty aware. But otherwise, Where? here? I can't see. Your computer's in my way. Well, give, it, me, oh, give me the it's, words. Well, it's a podcast. <laughs> if it's here, uh -huh. I'm on top of it. This is making yeah. a great podcast. <laughs> it was Ryan yeah. that said that. I have no idea. Yeah, no, no. About. You're, I was you're talking about my eyes. <laughs> so a recent thing that's happened with uh, some of our guests that are known for having fabulous hair is we just get right into what they use. So what's the secret? You know, I, I'm not happy. I, ha I had a hair product like several years ago that they don't make anymore, and I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Soul Glow? But I know they don't make it anymore. Yeah. And okay. so I can't find it. So I've kind of created my own. Oh, okay. 
it's a combination of a couple of things. <clears throat> it's just like the, like uh, the and you're not going to spill it. You're not going to spill it. Like this is your thing. No, I, I, I don't mean, want Schrader to know. <laughs> no, I mean, Calvin. Calvin. Yeah. Yeah. Calvin. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm worried though; it's going to create like a bigger bald spot. That right? See, you, you have a bald spot? No. You sure? I've got the two guard garage. Yeah, but that's what I got. You sure, no, you don't no. have a bald spot. Back spot's good. You sure? Yeah, no. Pompelli actually looked? does. Yeah, no. I've, I've looked because I saw Pompelli's. Uh, granted, he's ten years, fifteen years older than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the other day and I thought, oh, <laughs> and so I tried to look too. Well, it. yeah, no, I'm okay. I've got so, a cowlick, and that's all. So, so I've given Calvin grief about yeah. a, a thinning patch right, right. in the back for a long time, and then. Somebody took a picture, I don't know, uh, it was a few months ago, uh, and yep. I'm like, yep. you kind of asked for that. Holy crap. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And so I started looking, and so I was doing the thing with the phone yep. and holding it upside, yep. you know, and right, like, right, right. can I get a picture of it? And I'm like, right. I, don't, I don't know, I can't tell. And my wife was like, no, 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 <laughs> no. Well, she no. probably just doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. we have a 17 year old and a 14 year old, okay. both, both boys. Okay. We were sitting there, it's probably four or five weeks ago now. And my youngest son, <laughs> who will say Whatever. anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, I mean, <laughs> thought in, thought out. There it goes. Yeah, yeah. Walks by and goes, Dad, you got a bald spot in back. <laughs> and I looked at my wife. <laughs> like, you said it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, with, like, shock and awe on my right. face. And she goes, honey, nah, it's thinning a little bit. It's yeah. not. And now I, I just. I don't look anymore. You have enough of a flowing mane, though. I feel like if you did, you could kind of just comb over straight back. Yeah. Or at least distract. Yeah, I just throw yeah. it long enough and just. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly go right. for it. You're going to be just fine. I'm just going to do the Matt Lauer at some go. point in time. <laughs> yeah. Just commit to it. Where, no, you, where are you coming from? Just preparing. Well, right. For this. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, absolutely. So what bar, what bar? I have a 17 and 14-year-old, and they're both boys, and they're both big-time baseball players. So. 14-year-old has fall ball going on, and yep. today was his last ball game. And I have not been to any of his fall ball games because I've been out of town so much. And so today was his last day, and I was supposed to do a school up at Mid-Ohio, but able to get out. I said, find somebody else. i got to go to the ball game. It was just going to be a nine-inning game. Among the caricatures, which, which dad are you? Are you the one getting in fights? I really hope you're the one getting in like fights. Like shirt off, yeah, yeah. screaming Come again. On! Like <laughs> screaming at umps. How dare you? By the way, what the f is baseball? <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that. Yeah, you know. Okay. I, I, yeah, we're yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I try not to. I really do. <laughs> Give me an example. I, I try not so, to. I, you I'll try not to, but that means uh, you have. I have. Okay. You know, it's it, when your when your your cub gets mistreated. Yeah, yeah. You okay. know, cub. Papa Bear has to. <laughs> no, is this with the ump or with the coach? Uh, usually with the umpire. Okay. I'm embarrassed to say, you, but do you, you have your coach, your kid's coach's phone number in your phone? No, that's good. Okay, that's good. Again, that's, that's progress. Yeah. I don't have. I mean, I won't say I've never had a problem with a coach, but sure. But you're not the guy that calls him like no, a couple no, times a week, no, like, "Hey, my kids no, not good enough time." No, 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 no. no. First of all, because my kids are good enough that they get plenty. Oh, of time. oh, oh there boom. it is. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's just and look, and you know, one of the roles that I fill is basically being an umpire. Right. So you know what this last two and a half, three years has been payback. 
Ah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. a payback yeah, yeah, for yeah, every yeah. umpire that I've sat behind <laughs> yeah. and gone, yeah. that is pathetic. <laughs> that is pathetic. <laughs> and so just put this in some context in case people don't know. I mean, some people know you as like, you know, the guy on TV or the guy that used to run IndyCars or whatever, but you took on a role with the World Challenge three years ago Yeah. Um, to be kind of initially sort of like the lead official and now it's kind of a team of you guys. Yeah. It's kind of morphed I'm, over I'm the, the years. I'm the driver, Stuart Dorsey's right. the race director. And right. Peter Roberts is the chief steward. Right. So now you're on the dark side of things. I'm so on the dark speak, side of things. And you've been for yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. So, um, and it's been through some of the tough times of World Challenge over the last couple of years. I mean, like, for example, I think of, say, Long Beach 2015. Oh, yeah. I didn't do that one. Was that not you? Oh, <laughs> you got off on a good one. No, but he were at St. Pete. And because and you, had, you had TV responsibilities right. as well. So right. it's still something you're going to have to come back and deal with going forward yeah. for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. 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 I was at St. Pete, <laughs> and then I couldn't do Long Beach because I had both IndyCar and sports car duties. Right. And there was just no way to get over to do the race. And obviously, that one didn't go well. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I guess it depends on whose side. Well, fine for you. On, you know. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, walk back into the hornet's nest right, um, right. afterwards. But, but that's my point. It's like, as a broadcaster, you have to see everybody on another day. You know, like, for example, yeah. in World Challenge, you're, you're at a lot of the IMSA races as a pit lane reporter, and yeah. there's a lot of crossover between sure. teams, crew, drivers, personnel, that kind of thing. Um, and you're going to have to occasionally make a call that's unpopular and then go out and face it. I mean, we talked to Bo about the same thing. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that doesn't cross your mind, but at the same point, it doesn't make it any less of a burden. No, I mean, it doesn't make it any less of a burden, but it really doesn't cross my mind. And I think right. I said, and you were probably in the driver's meeting. I was probably there. I might not have heard it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I put out some sweet tweets. <laughs> Where I said, you know, somebody in this room, and the reason why I said that is because somebody had gone to the officials and said, you know, he's afraid of making calls. Actually, they said Brian and Dorsey are afraid of making calls because that team runs – in another series, and they and they don't want to have to interview them. Of yeah. course, the first thing that was wrong with it is Dorsey doesn't do television stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. So, so there's that. Was that Mossport driver's meeting? I, it I may have been. I remember, we yeah, had this guy, I remember been. being like, oh, this is good. Like, I'll pay attention yeah, now. And then, <laughs> and second of all, I don't care. I mean, and I don't, I, I don't say I don't care from the side of, you know, to hell with everybody, I, I'll just do what I want. But I don't care because the two roles are very separate, and – I think that's the one where I said, this is probably what you remember. If you think that I'm afraid to make somebody mad that I won't get an interview from them, you, then you don't understand television. You need me more than I need you. Boom. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> now, yeah. yeah. I was and, there and I'm true. like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, doesn't everybody realize that? I mean, and, and, and I don't mean that in an in a arrogant way, but it's like the fact of the matter is you want me to come and talk to you. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Duh. Yeah. Right. But it's one of those things where, you know, in the television world, and I always tell young guys when we do media coaching and stuff, there are only three reasons that I'm going to come and talk to you. <laughs> ones that you won, ones that you're a co-driver and you're doing pretty good, or the other ones that you had a problem. Right. So unlike football, I think it was Woody Hayes that said, when you throw a football, only three things can happen, and only one of them's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. and in television and motorsports, two of them are good and only one of them is bad. But, right. you know, th the fact is – even if it's bad, you want to be able to tell me your side of what went wrong. And you still get your sponsors on, and you still get FaceTime and all of that. And I simply meant the idea that I'm going to be afraid to go talk to somebody right. is, no. is silly. The two yeah. roles are completely different. And I think 
I mean, I, I think I know you well enough. I certainly know me well enough. I know other guys well enough. Johnny O'Connell is a dear friend of mine. Yeah. And I have certainly, in the three years with World Challenge, I've made calls against Johnny, who I probably know better than any other driver sure. in the paddock. And I say this, I don't know, I'll probably get a text from him. Go for done. it. Yeah. He, he, he <laughs> no, I don't listened. love you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but and, and it's just it's just the way it is, you know, and I'll tell you the guy that and you guys mentioned it, the guy that I, I try to emulate to some degree, which is so funny, is Bo. Sure. And I've I've literally known Bo since he was about two and a half feet tall. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I started racing in the southwest division of the SECA. His dad was racing, and I met Bo Barfield when he was a little carpet rat running yeah, around yeah. Texas World Speedway right. while his dad was racing. So, um, And I've watched him come through the driving side of things and then to the official side of things. He's got such a cool level head, uh, and he and I talk about it a lot. You know, I see him, obviously, on IMSA weekends, and we're good friends. And, you know, I think we have somewhat of the same philosophy but a different delivery. Um, he's much more laid back. Always. Al always. <laughs> always yeah. 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 But I got you. I can, I guess, probably because I've raised two kids, and I think we've done a good job. Actually, Leslie's probably raised them more than I have. Sure. But, sure. Um, <laughs> that there's a time and a place, and if you need to get loud, then you need to get loud. Well, I guess for me, like, I, I prefer to have you and Dorsey as, chiefs, as, as driver stewards than, like, Peter Roberts even because uh, I don't know that Peter Roberts has ever strapped in a helmet, you know, got in a race car and like gone out and done the job. And I'm not saying he's incapable or whatever, but for my per preference, I want somebody that I know has risked their life, has driven against people, has yeah. had fits of anger and an immediate reaction. Never. You know what I mean? Never. <laughs> I'm talking about Dorsey here. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, to me, that means something because I've come up against stewards in the past that would tell you what you did wrong and, and you're like, but, no, I saved an accident from happening. We're going to make mistakes, and we're not going to see everything. But what I won't do, and I'm not going to make a call based upon somebody's onboard video after the race. Not going to go back and call balls and strikes in the seventh inning based upon – Well, you can't. Well, yeah, and the other thing yeah, is I, I – And I wasn't looking for that. No, my particular you're, case, you're looking for an apology. I wanted right. to hear you didn't yeah. do the wrong yeah. thing because it makes me look bad to the guy I'm driving for. Absolutely. Who's like, you had a drive through I'm like, Absolutely. no, no I – well, you, you know. and this may not be true, but I'd heard that, like, on the on the official side at World Challenge, you guys don't accept teams onboard video. No. And and I assume, and I when I, when somebody told me that, they're like, this is bullshit. And I was like, no, that makes total sense because then there's 40 f***ing teams all showing their onboards, and it's two oh, yeah. of you trying to look yeah. through all this. Yeah. Bo won't look at them at MC either. Yeah, yeah. no, no, it's we, a good rule. We, we can't. Yeah, it's I mean, two we of have you. our cameras that we'll look at. Right. But I mean, the problem is, a, you want to know. Right. In the race, if it's lap two and I make a call and say I'm going to drive Ryan through, right. he may be pissed, but he's got 50 he's now minutes can make up for it, right. to make it up. Right. Yeah. If he comes in after the race and I go, on lap two, <laughs> yeah. right, right, right. you did this. Little did now, you know. Yeah. Now we just finished under full course caution. Yeah. yeah exactly. And, what you have he has and problems, I'm going to yeah. give you a 45-second <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. penalty. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's like he just went from third to right. DFL. Right. The the most common thing you hear with uh, being a steward or maybe even a rules-making person in general is that it's thankless. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Has anybody come to you and be like, thanks for 
doing this? Or are you just, like, taking lumps all the time? No, but, I mean, you said it. I mean, look, when you walk through the paddock and people talk to you and you don't get hit by anything. No, but seriously, it, it is a thankless job. And But you're not, you're not looking for accolades. Sure. But it's different. I will tell you, it's different. Um, it's different from driving a race car. You, when you drive a race car, you sit out there in the autograph sessions and you sign your hero card. We didn't have those then because it took too long to take the hammer and the chisel and <laughs> make another one I and then hand it to somebody. Right. And then, you know, and the, <laughs> yeah, the stonemasons. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> but people, you have a fan base. Yeah. And people like the job that you do, sure. both, you know, your team, that's why you're hired, right, right. the fans, so on and so forth. When you do television, some people like the job you do, right. some people don't, but you'll hear, hey, love your work. Da, da, right. da. You'll, uh, I'll occasionally come past an 80 or 90-year-old person who watched me drive race cars back in the day. Yeah, and right, off uh, horses. And, and yeah, exactly. Come on, come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they appreciate the job that you do secretly not secretly but without recognition because nobody recognizes it because they don't need to recognize it brian hughes who's another one of our officials is a great guy he fills in for peter yep when peter's gone and and brian's laid back like Bo. in fact brian's one of those guys that uh, like a driver yeah like me you know, in this sport, you, you work multiple jobs. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, to yeah. make the living. Uh -huh. um, he works in IMSA Race Control. He works with us. Great guy. And he said his deal is when Peter's gone, he's like, I want to, I came into this weekend anonymous. I want to leave anonymous. Right. Right. I don't want anyone to know who I am yeah. because I don't want to have to do anything. Right. You know? yeah. um, and it's, it, it's one of those deals where, what we do really shouldn't ever be noticed. Yeah. GT racing around the world now with BOP has become so competitive. Yeah. There's going to be some push and shove, and there's going to be some touch. If we say you can't touch anybody, that'll never happen. It's great to have race car drivers in this position, in, in a uh, steward's position, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, Dorsey's driven more recently than I, but... Neither one of us have raced at a high level for a long period of time. I remember what it's like. I remember the emotion. I remember the challenge. Um, and, and race cars were different. I mean, we didn't have the driver age. You literally had to do that. But, I mean, I was – I drove – and I think you saw the picture. I think you even commented on it. We, had, we did a Honda program up at the school a few weeks ago, and I would never driven an NSX before. Right, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, so drove a street NSX for several laps around the racetrack. And the technology that exists and the braking capability and the aero and certainly in these cars, you kind of need that. You know, and I remember talking to Scott Sharp about this when he was driving the Acura prototype several years ago at Mosport. And I said, remember back when we used to have to – because Scott – Scott's old. He just doesn't look like it. Right. I, I right. don't know what he drinks or takes or whatever. Patron, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Patron, apparently. <laughs> and I'm drinking Don Julio. Oh, my God. I need to change that. You're doing um, fine. You're doing fine. But maybe it is tequila. It might just be tequila. I don't look tequila. bad, yeah. but, I mean, he I looks to, better. I but anyway, change it up. 
you wouldn't have time to go through a manual gearbox, you know, on downshifts anymore. But I do remember the nuances of it. And I, what my job is as a steward is to not – I'll never be able to get inside his head, which would be a scary place to be when you be don't want to go in Ryan there. Eversley's head. Listen, I hang out with this guy. So <laughs> exactly. Double trouble. You're, you're in that marked <laughs> car out there driving down the road. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't judge his intention. But I can in, I can judge what happens yeah, on the sure, racetrack, sure, yeah. and and that's probably good because eventually the technology is going to get to the point where I don't understand the technology anymore. Sure, um, but I can understand the physics of what's happening right. with the cars right. and how they interact on the racetrack. Exactly. So um, I remember, and this was still a long time ago, a guy named John Mullen, who's still a dear friend of mine really kind of the guy that got me into the television side of things on a deep level. A producer, and we were doing Atlantic stuff, and he was making a comment about the Atlantic field one year. And he said, good God, you need to get back in a car because <laughs> you could win the championship again. I said, John, it's been like 15 years since I've driven an Atlantic car. I'd be last on the grid. I said, no, you wouldn't. You won a championship. I'm like, dude. This is what people don't understand, and, and, and you don't understand it half the time. You know it, but it's not a conscious thought. He's looking at me right He's now. Right, yeah. yeah, I'm looking at Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Sean. Sean doesn't get at this at all. Yeah, um, it, People look at an IndyCar grid or a World Challenge grid or an IMSA grid you know, in a particular class, and they'll go, ah, oh, what a wanker. Right. Yeah. That guy's a second and a half off the pace. Right. I'll, I'll use Mid-Ohio since it's 50 miles up the road. 55 miles, actually. Pretty settle down. Yeah. Settle down. Um, <laughs> 15 turns on that racetrack. A tenth of a second. And every corner is one and a half seconds. Right. I would challenge anybody at home, pull out your iPhone, put it on stopwatch mode. Exactly. Right. Lay it flat on the table and hit start-stop as fast as you can. Yeah. As yeah. fast as you can. If you're really really good you may get below a tenth of a second right if my really kids good. can do it in like 0. 0.08 yeah and occasionally a 0. 0.06 if there's like some discrete right, right like right. static yeah. electricity <laughs> charge or something i think between the buttons you can't see a tenth of a second no. right it's five feet in a braking zone it's a half a mile an hour rolled through another hundred foot of radius of a right. corner or whatever you can't see it yeah. guys that you think are off the pace aren't off the pace I mean, it could be, you know, I'll take the horsepower deal out of it since everybody likes to bitch about that and BOP. But, I mean, it, it could literally be 25 pounds of downforce, of right. arrow. You right. know, it could – it's minuscule. I said this three years ago when I did my first World Challenge drivers meeting at Coda. I said I was – and it's not bullshit. It's the truth. When I sit there in front of this room and I look out, it's some of the best race car drivers in the world. Right. Not, not in the state. Right. Not in the country. Not on the continent. Right. It's in the world. Right. You know, these guys are, are world-class drivers, and it's like it's somewhat humbling to be there. And it's at the same point in time, they've entrusted you to judge them right because that's what you're doing you're judging them right 
You know, you sit and you watch and you judge. And there's never a drive-through penalty that's given. There's never a penalty after the race that's given that isn't given with the idea that you're going to affect somebody's race. You're going to affect somebody's job. Right. Right. You're going to affect somebody's career. I mean, and it goes in that order, and it's true. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, I'm sorry, calling a ball or a strike. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It's pretty straightforward. Well, and it, you know, it, it, <coughs> you're probably not going to send somebody back to the minors. Maybe you. Right, maybe the right. final strike. Yeah, maybe that I mean, one. Maybe that one. But like, obviously, the GT class has a has a ton of ego, and almost every guy there is probably being paid, at least in the GT Pro class. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to bring in a lot of yelling well, and bickering GT and everything. GT Pro. Well, sometimes not always. Well, yeah. Um, but uh, I wonder if – I'm not here to judge. If the ego <laughs> goes all the way down. Like when you get to the B-spec class, are those guys like, what's the deal? Are you serious? You know, well, I, I assume it's that way. It comes with Nomex. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you would ask me that question. I have a – I have a theory, and I know there are some female drivers in, in all these categories, but oh uh, Lord. there are two things that a guy never wants to tell, be told that he's bad at, and racing is the other one. No. Got it. No. So, I would it. say, in driver school, there, you've heard me. Have I? Did you steal this from me? No, but uh, uh, but we're both geniuses, Heckman. let's face it. So There are three things that every man inherently thinks he knows how to do. Okay. <laughs> Drive cars, shoot yeah. guns. And something else. Yeah. Absolutely. And make love. But we're not good at any of them without instruction. But we believe we are. Yep. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So how far are we from where you live right now? I am five minutes across nice. the highway, which okay. is no excuse as to why I'm late. But that's another thing altogether. We were going to mention So that. where where are you staying? Where are we staying, Sean? There's a hotel uh, uh, right across the Yes, there the is. Oh, yeah. Nice oh, yeah. hotels. Yeah, like. no, there's plenty of good. And Columbus seems like a really nice place, actually. In fact, there are like... 15 hotels within yeah. like a mile I of where we're sitting right now. Yeah, yeah, except I'm committed to um, being strange. I don't know if you knew this about me. And <laughs> certain <laughs> things we shouldn't talk about. <laughs> no, I was like, wait, 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 wait. This is, I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, so about an hour away, there is a hotel what? we discovered. It's like a bed and breakfast, yeah. but it's all corgi themed. <laughs> Literally the entire hotel has like corgi pictures and like a corgi carousel is and this, a corgi gift shop. We, th I'm not this, making this up. This, this is can't be a podcast. True. This needs to be video. <laughs> people need to see the look on my face. 100% true. And I was like, I have to go there. And so we are go. We are driving an hour out of our way. Yeah, out of our way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We could have stayed in Columbus, which is nice and seems affordable. But instead, we're uh, we're going out of our way to uh, to arrive at midnight or whenever the hell we get out of here uh, to, to be surrounded in a party-themed hotel. I can't remember the name of the city. I'd have to look it up. In our city. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way in yeah. hell it's yeah. a city. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. The small, quaint village uh, <laughs> that our little bed and breakfast is in, but it's all corgis. I'm not making this up. Did you cross-reference that bed and breakfast with America's most haunted Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't, but it would be okay. Do they, are they on, they're on Yelp, right? They're, they got to be. I yeah, have to we'll, look up we'll the place. We'll have to look them up. Yeah, yeah. What do yeah. you mean they've got to be? You didn't yeah, check? I, I was driving. I don't. So. They, I saw corgis. I was sold. He actually are you serious? Like, he's like, hey, is it cool if we... <laughs> I like, actually like... Oh, so yeah, I'm I'm explain in. the corgi thing. I love corgis. <laughs> the end. Done. <laughs> I have a corgi. I love corgis. They're the coolest dogs in the world. And therefore, there's a corgi-themed hotel. I'm good. That's it. There's no more rationale to this. Yeah. Which direction is this? It's actually backtracking. You want to stay here? 
We already have. I paid no. for this hotel no, 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 already. No. Okay. I, I wasn't talking wrong. to you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Ryan, <laughs> and now you're going to go west the, the, to come back to go to Pennsylvania. The, the Ryan look, may want to stay here. The look in his eyes was like complete sincerity. Like, do you need help? Like, <laughs> blink once if he's. Yeah. I'm looking for the mark you, on your right, right, right. I'm like, <laughs> can I come teach at the uh, at the <laughs> school tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> we can have a guest instructor. Mm -hmm. Everyone, mm -hmm. look. Here's Ryan. It's like, I mean, Yellow Springs, Ohio. I got to do it. Are you concerned at all about the corgi people in this corgi bed and breakfast? Oh, yeah. That's part of the experience. <laughs> right, right. More importantly, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> people today, especially like sort of the younger crowd, they know you as a guy on TV. They know that maybe you used to drive, but we're not really like a biographical podcast. But I do think actually it's worth getting into where you came from. Did you just say younger crowd? Younger crowd. I'm saying you're old as <laughs> what, are you, what are you not understanding about this? No, uh, I understood completely <laughs> what you just said. Um, but, like, I, you know, because you're now uh, a guy on TV and a driver's uh, official or driver's steward, I mean, it's it's worth getting into some of your, your background here. So you're, uh, you mentioned Bo Barfield. You're a Texas native. Yep. You grew up, uh, where did you grow up? Houston. Houston. Yeah. Houston. All right. And uh, was racing a thing growing up? No. No. How'd that happen? Talk about that. What? <laughs> Talk about that. Go. <laughs> where, so where, did, where did racing enter the, the, the mindset of Brian Till? You know, it's funny. I, I mean, I am the most uh, – I shouldn't say most. I, I look at it and I go, there is no way in hell I should be – On I this podcast. I say where I am. Right. Because, but my, my father was an attorney, and he was – a spectacular attorney and it, it's I mean he's he was a guy that he was an only child okay was raised in a town called Appleby Texas is that where Applebee's came from I'm not sure that I don't uh, think so okay but <laughs> it literally I think at one point in time said Appleby on one side of the sign and Appleby on the other side of the That's sign awesome <laughs> um, he lived in a two-room house not a two-bedroom house a two-room house. Two right, house right, right. and um, moved to Houston when he was 12 years old his dad drove a truck for Shell, delivering gasoline to gas stations. And, you know, he was just this kid back in the 40s, you know, right. and um, got out of high school. You went to the Navy and was on a battleship. And just about the time he got out, Pearl Harbor happened. Oh, wow. So he got out kind of just in time. Yeah. Okay. Um. It was one of those deals where he used his GI Bill to pay for college, went to the University of Houston, and graduated from there, read electric meters for Houston Lighting and Power, paid for law school, uh, was one of the highest grades on the bar exam at his sitting in the state of Texas, and went to work for a, a firm that was then known as, see if I can remember this from <laughs> being a kid, Fulbright, Crooker, Freeman, Bates, and Jaworski. <laughs> I'm impressed. Which became eventually Fulbright and Jaworski. Leon Jaworski was the Watergate special prosecutor. Oh, no kidding. Um, so, yeah. See, I'm the only person sitting at this table that was, was alive. actually alive. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, all yeah, that yeah. By a little yeah. bit. Um, but, you know, he was just, he was a special guy. And, and he was small town 
boy made good yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Had four kids. Yeah. My mom was small town girl. She was an identical twin. And um, my dad actually asked her sister out first. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't go because she had a boyfriend. So he ended up with my mom. Right. And <laughs> so he ended up with my mom, you know, kind of thing. And got an older brother and, and two sisters, one older and one younger. And nobody knew anything about racing. Okay. Anything. And when I was in high school, um, met a guy by the name of Bobby Martin. And and I won't go too far into that. He's still a dear friend of mine, but he's worked for the government from time to time. And I probably shouldn't get too far into that stuff. But copy. Um, and Bobby's dad raced in the SECA. So when we were juniors and seniors in high school in the summer we would go to SCCA races and certainly when we were a freshman in college we would right. go to, to SCCA races. So this is like late 70s. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and late 70s, early 80s. Excuse me. <laughs> what the fuck, Sean? I'm, I'm, I'm an asshole. <laughs> this is not new. So. <laughs> Quit being a dick to the guest. It's <laughs> <laughs> the way I'm going to be treated. So we would we would go to the races and I just thought, you know, when I graduate, you know, I, I, there was a guy I particularly remember in at Texas World Speedway. He had this beautiful black Crosley Formula Ford. It had gold leaf numbers on it. It was 31. I can still remember the, yeah. the number on the car. It looked like a John Player Special yeah, Lotus, yeah, yeah. you know? And I'm like, when I graduate from college, and I'm making $150,000 a year right out of school. As you do, right. Yeah, as you, <laughs> as day you do. Yeah, yeah. Day yeah. Yeah. I'm going to buy one of those. Right. And then my sophomore year, it was like, you know, when I'm making $75,000 a year. <laughs> my junior year, it was like, when I'm making $35,000 a year. And by the time I graduated, I'm like, if I can just buy a ticket to a race. Yeah, yeah, you yeah know, sure. You're good to go. And um, what would you go to school for? Well, I, I, the first two and a half years, I was a biology major. I wanted to be yeah. a veterinarian. Okay. Okay. Because I, it, it's bizarre. Because yeah. if you look at my Facebook page, you'll see me killing animals. Because I'm a big hunter. Yeah, we we love we we to hunt. This. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, grew up hunting. Because yeah. my dad did, yeah. and still love to hunt. Yeah. But I have this love for animals. But I'm you want to save them after I'm you shoot. I'm a huge them. dog fan. No, I want to eat them after <laughs> I shoot them. If I shoot it, I want to eat yeah, it. Yeah, you're if one of those guys yeah. that you yeah. eat yeah. where you yeah. kill. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. So, um, but, you know, I. I I became this fan of motorsports, and when I was in college, I would watch the Formula One races and always saw how these Formula One drivers started as go-kart racers. Right. And I can remember somebody back when I was in junior high who raced go-karts, and I didn't really understand what it meant and this, that, and the other. So I know this is a convoluted story, but I couldn't decide when I when I realized that I wasn't going to get into veterinarian school. It was about two and a half years into college because you had to have a better grade a better GPA then, and I think still now, to get into vet school than medical school. No kidding. Oh, wow. Oh, Which wow. tells me two things. If you ever get sick, go see your vet. Yeah. Sure. Your yeah. doctor, because they're yeah. smarter, yeah. obviously. Sean does that now. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Well, right. Corgi guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there anyway. You specialize in corgis? I'm in. I'm in. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and two, you know, it, it's, it's like one of those things that if you can't be a doctor or a veterinarian, you're going to end up being a high school biology teacher, and that's <laughs> right. probably not where you want to be. So sure. anyway... I didn't mean to inf- offend anybody who's a high school <laughs> biology teacher with that remark. But they know. Um, they know. So I was like, what do I want to do? And and I was always also interested in airplanes. So it was like, 
I started taking flying lessons. My dad's like, just try to find some other stuff that you might be interested right. in. Right. So I started taking flying lessons. So I remember I didn't fly much on Saturdays. You usually flew during the week, but I went out and I had a flight lesson on a Saturday. And the Heart of Texas Go-Kart Club ah, okay. was right there next to the airport in Waco. I went to Baylor. Okay. So I was leaving the, the airport, and there were a bunch of trailers and stuff at the go-kart track. So I pulled in. I was like, yeah, yeah all these Formula One drivers. You know, <laughs> sure, right. go-kart race. what they do. Sure. So I climbed up in the grandstands, and I hear this. <laughs> and this little cart comes out, and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. This is crazy. Right. And then another one comes out, and they're up on, like, two wheels going yeah, out yeah, of the yeah, yeah. This is insane. This is crazy. You could die doing this. this mm-hmm. Who would do this stuff? I gotta mm-hmm. have one. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so little did I know those were junior carts. <laughs> so, but I mean, I I just I got a job that my parents didn't know I had. Okay, what was it? <laughs> Taking pictures at fraternity and sorority parties. Oh, oh I was okay. The party pick guy. Yeah. All right. I was the guy that went around and. Took pictures of people yeah. at their at, at the frat parties and stuff. Not looking their best. Um, <laughs> and made enough money to buy a go kart. I, I drove a Toyota Silica. My dad was my dad was very strict about he wouldn't buy you a car when you turned 16 years old or whatever. You had to finish 60 years of college or 60 hours of college, not 60 years. <laughs> my degree almost took that long. Um, <laughs> he had to finish 60 hours of college, then he would buy you a car. So I had a Toyota Silica hatchback. Right. It just so happened that if you folded down the seats, the rear seats, and a Celica hatchback, you could fit a go. You could put a go kart in the back. Nice, oh, right? And you could put a little Sears toolbox between the front wheel and the nice. back wheel. Now, on did you one like side. have to take the cart apart? Nope. To fit it? Oh wow! It just you could pick up okay. the front porch of the cart, set it up on the hatchback, pick up the rear bumper, and roll the thing in. Nice. And the toolbox would fit along the left side between the left rear and the left front. Yep. And the extra wheels would sit. You know, like on the floorboard like the of the seat. car, yeah, yeah. and the gas can would sit in the seat. Yeah. And I drove all around the state of Texas <laughs> racing my go kart. My nice. parents never knew. Back when you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah back when you could do that. Yeah. And I made enough money taking pictures at fraternity parties and sorority parties to do that. My parents didn't know, and that's right. how I got my start. And it was like, I quit flying because I was like, okay, this racing this is thing is what yeah. I want to do. Oh, yeah. And of course, I mean, it was obvious. If all you did was run well, win races, you were gonna you're gonna be in F1. Penske. Yeah, 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 right over there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, Cause all it took was just yeah, you just do being good. successful. Yeah. Yeah. Win a regional race, Ron Dennis calls. You're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you. My parents eventually found out. Um, and it was funny when I stopped my biology major, my grades fell apart because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm one of those people that if you said Hey, let's go west. I'd say, okay, are we going to go to Washington? Right. Or are we going to go to Southern California? Because if you tell me, I'll map it out and we'll be Get great. Right, yeah. But you can't just tell me west because that's just too vague. Yeah, I, right. need, I need a focal point. Right. And so I got lost. I didn't know what I was going to be. I knew I was going to be a vet for all these years, and now I wasn't going to be. And so what was it going to be? And my grades went to hell in a handbasket. When I discovered racing, I kind of really turned my school around and – Changed to a business major because I knew I needed to understand business because racing was a business. And 
kind of focused on all of that. Long story short, graduated from college. Um, my best friend's dad, who was racing in the SCCA, said, you know, if your parents will send you to a three-day racing school, I'll let you use my car and a SCCA school, and you can run the regional race the next day. Yeah, be qualified, sure. And it just one thing led to another, and it was like it was off and running. And the bad thing is um, started doing the SCCA stuff and started running SCCA races. I graduated in December of 1984, started running SCCA races in 85, and the gentleman who owned the car – let me do a school, and, and I did well, and I won the first regional race that I entered. And he goes, hey, you know, you're doing pretty good. I'll tell you what. We'll go to the races, and you run the regional on Saturday. I'll run the national on Sunday. So I was winning, winning regional races, and he was struggling in national races, and then it wasn't as much fun anymore. So he decided he was going to get out. We were running a sports Renault at the time. Spec racer Ford for people that yeah. might for, yeah. yeah, for young kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or people in their 30s, either way. Don't make me say bad things to you. <laughs> Listen, it's been a Spec racer Ford my whole life. Has it really? Yeah. And I'm 33. Really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's why I clarified it. <laughs> so we figured out a way to buy the car. Bought the car. Ran for a couple of months. Qualified to go to the runoffs. My dad said, look, you're going to have a chance to go to the runoffs. It's the national championships. You may not ever get to go again in your life because you may not ever be in a spot where you don't owe something to somebody. Yeah, you have know? the time and the whole thing. So if you'll continue to live at home, do the things that I want you to do. Um, I mean, the job market in Houston at the time was He said, that's fine, but when you come home from Atlanta, you're going to stick the car in the barn out at the farm, and you're not going to touch it until you have a job. Sure. I said, fine. Fair. Two weeks before the runoffs, he had a heart attack and died. Oh. Oh. Um, you know, he was on a hunting trip and sat down and said, I don't feel good, and had a shotgun in his hand, and that was that. Wow. That was that. So, yeah, he was gone, and my mom said he would have wanted you to go to the runoffs, yeah. and, and I went, and did okay and I still remember Patsy Henry was one of the stewards at SCCA at the time and I had a blowout on the right rear of my sports Renault with like two laps to go at the runoffs and I limped around for two laps and it was cutting the bodywork in half and all of that because I was hell-bent determined I was going to take the checkered flag at the runoffs and afterwards I was just like I don't know what's going to happen but I'm going to be a professional race car driver because I think I'm pretty good at this We ever heard this story before? Never. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, one thing led to another. I met, I met some shady people who were going to find me money. Does this sound familiar? We'll, we'll, we'll get into Sean this. Sean knows yeah. all of them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so Kevin Buckler shows up. Yeah. <laughs> what? Never Found a guy that. who was going to find me all kinds of money. Got hooked up with Skip Barber. Um, and... That was going to be the year that they started the Pro Series. I'm mm-hmm. the answer to a very bizarre trivia question. Who won the very first ever Barber Pro Series race? Oh. Huh. It was me, Dorsey Schrader. In June. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> In June of 1986 at the Meadowlands. And that just cemented the fact in my mind that 
I should be doing this. I, I yeah, should yeah. be doing this. Yeah. And one thing led to another. And I always tell young people, and you don't want to take their dream away, but I'm the exception to the rule. Not because I'm an exception, but just because I was in the right place at the right That's time. That's a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, there are so many people that have the talent, that have the ability, that will never get the opportunity. Right. And um, I was doing my last skip barber school. I was done. I was getting married in 89, yeah. wasn't racing anymore, said, I gave it. my time, done. Yeah. Still and you're in Texas I mean, at the time? Yep. yep. You're also 29 at this point, so you're seeing yeah. your 30s coming yeah. and going, I need to be an adult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So met this guy, great guy, met him at Road America. He was doing a seven-day skip barber school. Huh. And I used to harp on my guys, quote, my guys, instructors at skip barber, I going, if, if I find you humping on anybody's leg, right. looking for money, you're fired. Right. That's not what we do. We're here to teach. Right. We're not here to look for rides. Of course, lots of people <laughs> found rides at Skip Barber, or <laughs> Jim Russell, everywhere, Ponderot, yep. or you, name, you it. name it. So this gentleman, whom I'll name in a minute, um, did this seven-day program and did a three-day school. And we'd go to lunch in, in town every day yeah. into Elkhart, which at the time was a very different town than it is now. <laughs> and – I can remember him laughing, going, yeah, you don't want to get married next year. You don't want to go racing. And when he left, he's like, let me know what you're doing next year. Tell me if you've ever heard this before, Ryan. Let me know what you're doing next year. I'd love to get involved yeah. in racing. I'd love, yeah, and yeah. if you had yeah. if you had a dollar for every time you heard that, you'd be Roger Penske. Exactly if you had a right. dime, you'd be Chip Ganassi. Exactly. I mean, it was, yeah. be like, you know, yeah. it's like 100%. So it's one of those deals where I was like, yeah, yeah, thanks. By the time I got from Milwaukee to Houston on Monday, I had a phone call, and he's like, he was on the answering machine. I want to bring you up to Columbus. I want to talk to you about racing. Da, da, da. Guy's name is Bob Lieber, who is one of the greatest guys in the world. His family, if you drive down 270, you'll see a building that says Liebert Corporation. His father, Ralph Liebert, um, was just an incredibly intelligent guy way before his time environmental control systems for mainframe computer rooms and stuff like that back in the 60s yeah, back, and 70s. Yeah, yeah. So um, got into refrigeration and air conditioning units and so on and so forth. And Bob just had this interest in motorsports. And he has a brother and a sister, and some of them shared part of that interest, but not in the direction that Bob went. And um, he was the guy. And so I, I flew up to Columbus and met with him, and he said, this is – kind of the vision that I have for next year. And I said, thank you, but no thank you. Because I, as you said, Sean, I was 29 years old and it was time to grow up yeah. and so on and so forth. It was not, I'm going to give another year to this. No, because if I give another year, then I'm going to give another year. Yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah. you're going to have to lay something out in front of me, not because I'm driving a hard bargain because I think I'm worth it, but because my that life is yeah. right, kind of going away and, and, and you got to get it done. Yeah fish or cut bait yeah you know <laughs> I like that. so thank you very much and i went back to houston and he called a, a week later and said no come back i want to talk to you again so we laid out a two-year plan and my fiance at the time was like you need to do this you where it goes yeah, yeah you'll never get another chance in your life and yeah. you don't want to wonder if you know and so i came back we did the barbershop thing in 89 and didn't go particularly well for 
a number of reasons, one of which was me. But um, I, it was it's funny. I'd never driven a car on slicks. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. And yeah, it, was yeah, the, yeah. it was the first year that yeah, barbershop cars out. had slicks, and it was kind of an amalgamation of wasn't the best car in the world. Right. It was a two-frame chassis designed for shaved street radials, and now right. it had slicks on it. And right. But he had laid out a two-year plan, and we went with that two-year plan. And so I think I finished fifth in the Barbershop Series that year. I think Buell won it, and um, I think it was a long time ago. You weren't born. You're <laughs> pissing me off. Um, <laughs> and then we went to the Atlantic deal in 90 and won that championship. Right. And it was like, okay, so I can drive a race car. Yeah. And, you know, now your confidence back, and that kind of spurred on further stuff. But it's – I was never a guy that was – like, I'm going to be a race car driver. Right. I didn't grow up that way. I didn't think that way until right. I was two and a half or yeah, three some, years like, into college. Yeah, you were nine-year-old carding phenom. No, right, 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 and, right. and so I look at... And you didn't buy a ride. No, I yeah. look at the success that I had. And I was in it for a really short period of time. Yeah. You know? And it's not anything that I ever craved. Right. It's not anything that I ever was like, I'm going to do this when I grow up, when I grow right. up, when I grow up. Yeah. I mean, none of us ever grow up that are in racing, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I look at it and I, I'm like incredibly fortunate to do the things that I've done. I'm not, I, I have acquaintances of mine who are incredibly bitter about the places that they never got. Sure. Yep. And I look at it and go, how could any of us be bitter? The only thing that you could be bitter about is that you didn't make the decision, whether that's me or yeah. you or yeah, 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 you yeah. or you yeah, or yeah, you, yeah. to say, I need to stop this. Right. I need to stop this, and I need to go do something else because you knew all the risks. Right. That's you, the deal. You knew yeah. all the pitfalls. Right. You knew it wasn't fair, not to sound like, you know, <laughs> right. that no, it's, it's not, yeah. you know, the whining kid or whatever, but you knew all that, and yet you took the next step. Step going. Yeah. Kept going. And the next yeah. step. Yeah. And the next step. And if you elected to do all that, knowing what you know, yep. you got no one to blame. So I look at it and I go, it, I, I'm stunningly fortunate to have done all that. It's funny. Um, that's my indie ring. Okay. And people go, I, I can remember, I, I wear it whenever I'm not too fat. <laughs> I have to weigh. <laughs> I have to weigh under a certain amount in order to put it on my finger, you know. Um, but I wear it, and all it says is that I started the Indianapolis 500. Yeah. But how many people well, have that? Well, there I think there's 700 and something people in the world right. now that have. But I look at guys. You know, I'm very cognizant of it when I did the IndyCar stuff. Yeah. You know, for NBCSN. When I talk to uh, Elio Castroneves yeah. or any of the guys who, you know, Scott Pruitt. Yeah. And I go, oh. And I'm like, you don't understand. To me, that's the Borg Warner Trophy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. made it. I yeah. remember standing in a go-kart shop in Waco, Texas in 1982, right. 1983. And there's an IndyCar show car in there. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's an IndyCar. Right, oh, my right. God. All right. I've ever wanted to drive was a Formula Ford. Right. That's an Indy car. And I, I said to the guy, do you think I could sit in it? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this right. is in a garage That's in the back, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, like, you know, still he's no. like, right. no. Still no. <laughs> and I was like, I'll never sit yeah. in an Indy car. Right. I didn't sit in an Indy car. I drove in the Indianapolis 500, and I actually finished. Yeah. yeah. I didn't 
I, I walked away. I, I did one of them. Yeah. I qualified. I started. I finished. And I finished 12th. And it's like, oh, my God. I did yeah. that. Yeah. I never planned to do that. Right. I, but I somehow, some way, with a lot of lady luck and a lot of grace by the big guy upstairs, I managed to pull that off. Right. So why is that on my finger? It's a reminder to me that I can do great things. Yeah. Right. I shouldn't say great things, but I, I, I can hey, achieve things that are me. I can achieve things that are beyond what I thought I could. Right. Sure. So then you then you have a, a several year run in IndyCar, never quite with the top teams, um, but you were making it work. As far as I saw, um, we did great. Right. I mean, yeah, like twenty career starts or something like that. That many? Yeah, I think that's what. It, yeah, I'll go with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like how many different teams? Because you drove like a Penske at one point, not for Penske, but drove the Penske. You drove uh, Lola, I think, and just that was that. I'm eating a nacho for God's well, sake. Well, we'll give you a minute. Let's let you eat. Those, those look like good nachos. Yeah. You want one? Yeah. <laughs> beef or chicken? Uh, what do you have more of? It doesn't matter. I'm gonna take the beef here. Yep. Yep. Can you pop a couple Jalapenos? of jalapenos on there for me? Yeah, Sean, I'm crashing with Till tonight. I'm good. <laughs> He's not going to the Courtney place. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I was fortunate from the standpoint of, like, the first year I raced an IndyCar, I drove, that was in 92, I drove the 91 True Sports chassis. Oh, wow. With the Judd yep. engine. The mechanical grip of the True Sports chassis was phenomenal. I mean, it was really, really good. The Judd part of the equation was another thing altogether. <laughs> it was like Chevy and Ford were in these engine wars. Right. I mean, at the time, you ran a qualifying engine. You practiced with oh, one wow. engine yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. You put another engine in for qualifying. Then you pulled it, put another engine in for the for race. race. Right. And, and this is what was funny when we were talking about a second and a half. Our goal was to be a second and a half off the pace. Right. If you that could be a within day. a second and a half in qualifying, you started somewhere between 13th and 15th. Right. And that's that's where you wanted to be. Yeah. But places like Toronto, I think, well, at Long Beach, I think we qualified in, in my first IndyCar race, I don't know, 15th, 16th, something like that. Sure. Beside, but you were within the target. Yeah. Besides Scott Goodyear. Okay. Who had yeah, a yeah. Lola Judd. And I he see, was all pissed off, and I was incredibly happy <laughs> that I was in an IndyCar race, and he was pissed off that he was in an IndyCar race. And I'm not sure he was pissed off that he was where he was or that he was side-by-side side with me. I'm not really <laughs> right. sure which was well, the more insulting thing. Yeah, it was your my hair. That's good. what He's it was. Pissed. And yeah. um, in 93, I ran the second half of the season with Turley because Cheever started with Turley, and then they had a disagreement, and – had this thing about following Eddie Cheever, but that's another story altogether. <laughs> um, he left, and I finished the, the second half of the season with Turley. And the difference between a Penske chassis and the True Sports chassis—oh my God! Yeah, yeah, it was stunning. I mean, and I, you'll laugh at this, Ryan. I know you will, but at the time, he's—he's going to roll his eyes. You know, you take your steering wheel off and you set it up you know, on the tub or whatever, and it would have a coily cord. It what? went up to yeah. the, a what? Yeah. A coily cord. <laughs> I know. know. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that went up to it. And the Penske, you just took the wheel off and did whatever you want to with it because 
all the connections were through the steering yeah, column. Right. And that was like it's unheard insane. of. Yeah. Yeah. It's always yeah. like, yeah. oh my God, yeah. 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 this work, it's, <laughs> it's black magic, oh my God. Um, the, the Lola that I drove was with Dale. Yep. And, um, you know, we were supposed to do six races that year, and I ended up doing two. For one reason or another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one of those was Indy, you know, and it was like, it was great for Dale. He hadn't had a car that had qualified for a while. We qualified and we ran and we finished and that was good for him. Um, I certainly don't think I was the impetus that got him on his roll <laughs> to where he is now, but um, it didn't hurt, you know. So, but that was my IndyCar stuff. We had lunch yesterday in Chicago with Craig Hampson. Dale Coyne engineer. Absolutely. Yes, and uh, his question for you. Oh, God. <laughs> was from when you drove for Dale Coyne Racing in 94 to how Dale Coyne Racing is now, what do you see as any similarities and what do you see that's changed the most? You know, it's, it, that's a hard question to answer because I'm not still connected to the IndyCar side of things. So what I see is very much from the other side of the fence looking in but what I can say is that obviously you don't win or run up front in the IndyCar series without being without pardon the pun firing on all cylinders which they obviously are doing now, I mean go back to Dale running a stock block engine and, and just trying to be a part of the IndyCar show because there was franchise money involved and, hey, you could make a living doing this. To, to becoming a legitimate contender and having guys like Bourdais drive for you. So, I mean, although Sebastian and I are very similar from a talent standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you were going to say that, right? right. I Absolutely. Knew you were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these, oh jala these jalapenos. Yeah, these jalapenos yeah, yeah. are very hot. <laughs> No, I mean, you look at it, and what Dale has been able to do is that slow burn, that, that build of gradually getting better and better and better, and whether it's the engineering staff, the mechanic staff, the drivers. I mean, you look at the Justin Wilsons of the world and the guys that he's had in the seat, and it's like he's built a program that can compete and that's saying something yeah. it's that's the difference between having a triple a baseball team that wins half their games or being able to compete on a major league level right so tomorrow for some reason well i don't know you're gonna go see mario yeah oh, well way to steal my thunder there too <laughs> that's all i got man yeah, we're going to have a uh, dinner with uh, none other than Mario Andretti, Marco's grandfather. Yep. As he's known. For the, for the kids who don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could pass along a question. Oh, he wrote it down. He's pulling out his phone. Or he's already bored. And or he's like, who? Yep. Did you write it down? Is this how prepared and professional no, go you ahead. are? Go ahead. All right. I'm I got kids. I can multitask. Very good. Right. We cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Any question that Brian Till would have for Mario Andretti? I would ask Mario. I mean, he and I get 
At least I do. I don't know if people ask him this a lot if he's Brian Till. <laughs> but obviously, oh. Oh. Oh, we're like. Okay. I'm going to need you to text like me that. Quaff for quaff. Perfect picture of Mario Andretti, but with your name below. So here's the, here's the backside of that story. <laughs> so at the Texas IndyCar race two years ago, Kelly Stavis and I are sitting in the restaurant of a hotel. Okay. And this woman is sitting like two booths down. She gets up and walks to the restroom, I think. And as she walks by, she's kind of eyeing me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, still got it. Yeah, still yeah. got it. Yeah, hair's looking good. She comes back, and as she walks back by, she's right. kind of looking over her shoulder. And she does this like a couple of times. And it's starting to get freaky. Right. And finally, she stops, and she says, excuse me, I just have to ask you, are you Mario Andretti? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I did. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. And I just kind of laughed. I said, you know, no, ma'am, no, I'm not. And so I told the story the next day when we were over in the TV compound. And so they, <laughs> so you know, they cameramen being what cameramen are and producers being what producers are. How dare you. They managed to find that picture of Mario. Yep. Yep. And do it. Down in the pit lane and yep. font it with, with my name. And and I'm like. So just just explain. We're looking at a photo yeah, we're on your phone of Mario Andretti with the uh, Brian Till. With the Brian Till font underneath yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And and so, I, I I mean, I'm honored. I don't know if he is. Sure. When people I'm ask sure he him. will be. Sure no, will but be. In, in, in all seriousness. I mean, it's. I think about. Because I'm old enough. <laughs> to kind of look back and old enough to look at I don't want to call you a young guy please do no I, Ryan. I need this no Ryan. I need this I, can't, I, can't I still need it. this it's not Sean's just <laughs> laughing and continuing to eat bean dip <laughs> Sean would you like a nacho too no well, I got okay. my bean dip man. how dare you um, turn yeah. down a nacho but I think about it and, and I would think that you would kind of wonder about this too I, I look back to I mean obviously you and I were talking about this right cars have changed so much so much I mean, back in the day, the guys who won were not only bold and brave, but they were empathetic to the car. They understood. I mean, Gurney was exceptional at understanding what the pace needed to be to get to the end. Be damned what the competition was doing. In order for the car that he was driving to get to the end, it had to be driven this way. So I look at it now and I go, cars aren't that way anymore. You can go hammer on them. So I guess, does he think that the mind and the soul of the race car driver has changed as the equipment has changed? Okay, so Indy 594, that's, is that the last year of IndyCar? Did you do any starts after that? I know yeah. You, I know you ended up doing Trans Am in 95. I, I did a start after that. <laughs> did you? Uh-oh. Here it comes. So where did I grow up? Come on, Ryan. It's a test. Houston, Texas? Yep. Yep. Is there any kind of reasonable IndyCar driver who ever came from Houston, Texas? That's the greatest of, well, maybe yeah. arguably the greatest arguably of all time. One of the two. So how old is Larry? He's probably your age, right? He's a little younger. Okay. 
We went to the same high school. Hmm. Ah. And from the time I, many years after high school, when I realized I wanted to be a professional race car driver, I used to give me shit all the time. I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive. Yeah. Yep. So. Tell your dad. <laughs> yeah. Tell your dad. Come on. So in 1995, when I was doing the Trans Am stuff, I get this call from Larry. Hey. What are you doing next weekend? I'm like, what do you want me to do? It's like, well, remember I said I had this habit of following Eddie Cheever? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Here we go. At the time, he was driving for Floyd. Yep. The first half of 95. It's like, well, Eddie's gone, and we need a driver for Vancouver. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> Done. Of course. So show up in Vancouver, play golf with the guys, play a great time, and I'm like, Ready for this. This is my entree back. Yeah. You're going to make it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is how old I am. I'd never driven the sequential shift IndyCar. Right. Because the last one I drove in 93 was a 92 model oh, car. Yep. The and then the, the yeah, Lola, yeah. even at the Speedway, was still, yeah. you know, a shift. Uh, or a regular regular shift. H pattern. Yeah. yeah. It so. was a, a finicky box, I guess. And they were like... Yeah, you know, I talked to other drivers. I'm like, what yeah, you, you just you don't need to use the clutch, just left foot brake and and this was a '95 Lola, down. which was I think it was their first sequential as well. Yeah, so it was still kind of yeah. yeah. So it was also the first year they had a third spring. Ah, right. Which was problematic. Which was problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so do you see the problematic side of this? <laughs> don't adding know where up you're going with this. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so you were going with this to win. Yeah. So. <laughs> Text tells me half second over everybody. <laughs> so here's the deal. AJ wasn't there. AJ was at the ranch. And we went out and I couldn't get I couldn't make the transmission work. I'm like, how do I blip on a downshift without a clutch? Right. You know, I mean I've never driven one of these and so I'm like, how can I blip? How can I match well if you just left foot brake and then just push it forward and I'm like, I can't get this to work and as you said, Sean, it was problematic, yeah, and right. he was trying to get it to work, and, and I struggled with that. And then I literally had to go out on Friday to a sporting goods store and buy pads for my oh, elbows for, and my yeah, knees. Yeah, right. the abuse into the thing, yeah. because they couldn't figure out how to make the third spring work. So oh, it's brutal. See, so it's just completely so they, off. So they took it off. Oh, nice. Yep. Solid. Yep. Solid. And went to the spring rates that they had from the year before. But obviously the wheel rates were different. Yeah, everything. And this is, I mean, no offense to anybody on the team. You look at AJ's team now, and much like Dale's that we were talking about, yeah. and the evolution that's transpired, and there was a valley between when AJ ran it, ran it and the technology that was there, and and – Larry taking over yeah. and the technology as it's grown. And so there was this valley in between, and I happened to be part of the valley, I guess. But um, it was brutal. The car was yeah. off the ground, literally off the ground in places around the backside of the racetrack. Yeah. We've got to do something big to make a change to see if that has an effect. We did that, and I'm like, all right, now let's do something else big. We can't do that without getting AJ's approval and all that. And that made sense. AJ wanted to know what was going on with right. the car. And it's like, 
And this is 95, so it's and it's not like he's a big email guy anyway, so it's literally like a phone yeah, call over to him. it's a phone call. Hoping could, he's home. Yeah. yeah, if you couldn't get him, he was out on the yeah. caterpillar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably moving trees. Moving trees yeah. and digging another pond. Right. You know, so I had the, the awesome honor of driving the black number 14 with the Copenhagen on the side yeah. of it. Yeah. But it was a lethal <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of deal. And, I mean, I've got some funny pictures of me in the suit and sitting there in the hotel room in a hat, in a Copenhagen hat with a cigar in my mouth with kind of this blank stare <laughs> on my face like, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? Because right. Right. there was nothing that I would have wanted to do more in my life and get A.J. Foyt to say, wow. Nice job. Yeah. Nice yeah. job. Yeah. And that just wasn't going to happen in <laughs> Vancouver of 1995. Right. But what picture is on my profile right. on my Facebook page? Because that's the proudest moment of my life. The only thing that pisses me off, and I'll never get it back, um, because I'm sure it went and for like $2 and, and AJ's big you know, auction that he right. had a year or two ago or whatever. There is a suit somewhere, a black Simpson fire suit with Copenhagen across the chest that says Brian Till on the belt. And it's like, I'd give, I won't say anything. <laughs> you would love to I, have that again. I would, I'd love to have that suit. It would be, I mean, I've got my Indy 500 suit that I wore. I've got both of the suits that I wore throughout the month. I've got my helmets that I wore throughout the month. But I think the coolest memento that I would have from my career would have been that suit, which is why that picture is my Facebook page. I am a Texan, and I actually once drove the number 14. That's pretty cool. It didn't turn out well, but I, but I drove it. So if anyone listening mm. has that suit, info at dinnerwithracers.com. Let me it, know. It will let, uh, we'll see how big our fan base really is. <laughs> okay, so you end up doing Trans Am full-time 95. Had you had any, like, conversations? Did you even know Dorsey Schrader at that point? Was there any sort of relationship? I, oh, good God. Did I know Dorsey Schrader in 1995? I knew Dorsey in 1987. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And we both lived to 1995. <laughs> Which is <laughs> right, right. Fair enough. So I met Dorsey at the end. So it was the end of 86. Yeah, the end of 86. I think. I got to do my math. Yeah. So when I finished the first year of the Barbershop Pro Series stuff, they were like, hey, you should be an instructor. Let's get Barber. So I'm like, okay. Now I have a job in racing. Right. <laughs> A You've glamorous job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. yeah. You've fallen for that one Hell before, yeah. too, haven't you? Oh, right. Yeah. So I get sent to Sebring to go to school to be an instructor. And who do I get paired with? Then Dorsey Schrader, whom I had met, but I couldn't really remember meeting him in 1985 at the runoffs because he was running – Sports Renault. That's right. right. Yeah. Spec racer. Yep. yep. Flip you off, Ryan Eversley. <laughs> I'm just helping the kids. <laughs> um, just helping the kids. Um, and so 
we spent a week in one of those little bungalows out back of the Kenilworth, which is now, of course, closed down and condemned, right, right. you know, there in Sebring. And from then on, I knew Dorsey. Right. You know, I mean, once you know Dorsey, you know Dorsey. It's like, and I've been friends with him ever since. And so when we raced together in 95, I certainly knew him and yeah. we were friends. Right. And, right. Um, and, and oddly, it, that is one of those friendships that has literally, I mean, it's gone on now for these. Do you have any years, inclination right? when you first met this guy who was probably not wearing a shirt and probably had a sweet no, mustache? No, no, no. Look. <laughs> Ryan, here we go. <laughs> so we were in one of these bungalows behind the Kenilworth, right? And I'm like, oh, Dorsey Schrader, I know him. You know? So we would go. Terry Earwood was yep. our. Okay. Who, God bless him, one of the funniest <laughs> people in the world. He's, he's right. been encouraged to be on this. Yeah. Oh, you got to have Terry on. I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your fans have to speak Southern, though. They'll figure it's it out. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They might become witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> that dog will hunt. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Terry was our instructor, and it was just Dorsey and I. And we would go out there and spend eight hours a day going through all the drills from all the programs and getting the curriculum and having to stand up and repeat it and do all this other kind of stuff. And every day, every day, <laughs> there was, and I think it's still there. You know, if you go from the racetrack back to where the Kenilworth is, because I think it's probably still standing. It probably hadn't been, like, blown yeah, up yet. Yeah, right. Just before you get to the railroad tracks, which is just before yep. the high school. Yep. I don't want to comment on how I know where that is, but anyway, <laughs> just before you get to the railroad tracks. <laughs> this got better. On driver's left, yeah. <laughs> All the things we could talk about. Yeah. Um, it was a little carryout place. Yeah. And we would stop and get a 12-pack of beer. Yeah. And we would go back to the Kenilworth. We would sit there, <clears throat> and we would work on the 12-pack of beer. <laughs> then we would go out. Then we would come back. And we would leave in the morning, and there wasn't a 12-pack of beer anymore. And we would be headed out to the racetrack going, oh, my God, we got to get this. I mean, it's even though it's January or February or whatever hot. in Sebring, it's yeah. still hotter yep. than hell. Yep. 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 And when you're in a skid car going around in oh, circles, yeah. yep. it doesn't really matter whether it's hot. <laughs> you know, right? So we would go at 9 o'clock in the morning. We're like, we are not doing this again. Yeah. We're going to go back. We're going to eat dinner. Yep. We're going to be in bed by 10 Healthy o'clock. adults. And every day, every day on the <laughs> way back, we yep. would stop at the carryout and get a 12-pack. Is that you or is that Dorsey? It was Dorsey, obviously. <laughs> sure. Clearly. Clearly. And I went to Baylor, for God's sake. Oh, so yeah, yeah, me. yeah, high class. <laughs> I mean, how could you even ask that question? How dare I? I know. But, it, but literally, every day, right. on the way home, it was right. a 12-pack, and the story started all over again. Right. Nice. <laughs> all over again. And, yeah, so from from that point in time, I knew Dorsey and knew Dorsey well. And we have hunted together. We have raced together. We have worked together both in television and the World Challenge stuff. And a very dear friend of mine. There's only one of him. Thank God. At what point do you say this isn't going much farther unless I continue to really push myself into it? 93. So ninety, so two years, three years prior. <laughs> no, I mean seriously, it was like at this point you're mid thirties. Ninety three, uh, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, this is pretty much done, right? Yeah. 
And then the 94 thing, I mean, look. I mean, so Bob, Bob Lieber, was not. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rockwell. Thanks, man. Um, not only a great guy as far as wanting to be involved in racing, but had businesses around town and stuff. So I had moved from Houston up here. Yeah. And I, and I worked for him when I wasn't driving a race okay. car. So we had a golf course here in town, public course, golf course. And I actually, amazingly enough, used my business degree and helped with the marketing and the advertising of that golf course and drove membership and stuff like that. Then bought a golf club company, uh, like a second tier that made private label stuff for um, golf shops and stuff large chain um, golf shops around the country and worked for him doing that. And I was like, you know, the racing stuff is going to be gone soon. Right. I mean, it, I had already done some television stuff, so there was a, an overlap. You know, if you can imagine, you know, a, a number line and another one underneath it where there's uh, an overlap. When I won the Atlantic Championship in 1990, Jim McCallion, um, who's – president of the Long Beach Grand Prix yep, yep. Association was doing all the Atlantic television stuff and he's like hey you won the championship would you be interested in doing color commentary for the championship next year right. I'm like, sure that'd be fun yeah. if it doesn't interfere with my indie light stuff so I did that that was my introduction in television and in 1995 when I was doing the Trans Am stuff John Mullen whom I mentioned earlier was doing the television for the Trans Am stuff and it was at Road America he said, hey, um, I want to do this interesting track piece. I'm going to grab five drivers, and I'm going to go drop you off in corners, and I'm going to have you talk a Trans Am car through the corner. And I was one of those five guys that he grabbed, and we did the little piece. And for some reason, I don't know, John was desperate. I'd have to go through the list of guys who <laughs> did corners at the right. time. He's like, you were really good at that. Would you be interested in doing some more stuff? So I got back into doing Atlantic television because John had it at the time. And then I did the runoffs for Speed Vision at the time. You mentioned Speed earlier, Sean. Yeah. So now we're going way back to Speed Vision. <laughs> Speed Vision. And, and kind of one thing led to another. And I was incredibly fortunate because it wasn't one number line on top of another number line on top of another. It was several number lines added up together it was like okay so the racing was tapering off but i still was working for bob television was coming in right. so there was this overlap you know between the three and as one would go away another would take on a greater you know importance in my life and 1993 chris Neifel and and michelle truman um got together and started the Mid-Ohio School. Right. So Chris called me, and Chris and I started doing the schools up there. I did the first school in Mid-Ohio in 1993, and I've been doing schools basically up there ever since. So, you know, one thing has kind of led to another, to another, to another, and I've been incredibly fortunate. I remember a long, long, long time ago saying, I don't want to be 50 years old and teaching racing schools anymore. I need to get a real job. And lo and behold, I'm 57 years old, <laughs> still teaching racing schools, being a driver steward, still doing the television stuff, and all three things keep me involved 
in this mistress, which is like any other mistress, you can't seem to let go of. Right. And there's a positive side, and you know, you know there's a negative side, <laughs> but you can't let go. Right. When I was driving open wheel stuff, yeah. and I've said this to young race car drivers, and I say young race car drivers, Guy Cosmo would be the perfect <laughs> yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. And Guy, I love you, but you're not He's my young anymore. Older, yeah. <laughs> but I can remember vividly standing in the paddock at St. Pete years ago, and Guy was pointing over to the other side, you know, because when you're not in an IndyCar at St. Pete, you're yeah, yeah, cast, the here, yeah cast, there's, a, there's a whole other side of the track you have to sit at. Yeah. Right. And he's pointing over to the IndyCar batting because I'm going to be over there. And I said, look, you need to make up your mind. You want to be an IndyCar driver, at which point in time the, your universe exists on the head of a pen, or do you want to be a professional race car driver? Because the two are mutually exclusive. I mean, if you're an IndyCar driver, yeah, you're a professional race car driver, but if that's all you want to do, your opportunities are slim. If you want to be a professional race car driver, your opportunities are endless. You know, there are all kinds of things that you can do to make a living. And I look back at that and I go, to me, I've been fortunate in that I didn't say, this is what I want to do in television. You know, this one thing. If I had to say that's the one thing I want to do, um, as much trouble as this would get me in with the sports car stuff, since I started in the open wheel stuff, even though I don't follow it on a regular basis because I follow what I work on, to me, the romantic side of racing is open wheel stuff. If I could call one race in the world, it would be the Indianapolis 500. Who's got the best voice? Who's like who's the best out there? The who's boys. got the best pipes? Who's, who's got the pipes? Who's got them? Other than Gunselman, um, see, Barsha's got the best pipes. Yeah, but see, it, but the other thing about Barsha is that what Bob Barsha has taught me is if you say it with conviction, it's true. It doesn't matter how wrong it is. <laughs> it's just if you say it with conviction, right? It's true. <laughs> so you're a pilot. No, I fly airplanes. Fair enough. Uh, do you fly yourself to all the races or just as many as you to can? To as many as I can. Okay. So how does that work then? Like uh, Pull back, houses get small. Push forward, houses get big. Done. That's all I, I have. Mean, that's all I have. What, what yeah. more do you yeah. need to know, Ryan? I mean, you could do this. You um, drive race cars. Well, my question is, is like you, you obviously buy buy the plane. It's your plane, right? You have like a, a little plane. It's an expensive plane. Okay. It's really big. <laughs> yeah. Really big. How hard really, is flying a G5? Really <laughs> expensive. Really so TV really money expensive. is good money. Oh, it's massive. It's so, massive. So you fly into like a small airport. When were airport, you born? Generally, 83. So my airplane is 10 years older. Than me. Than you are. Okay. All right. And it's not mine. It's mine and my partner's. But I guess not you. my. What, let me. I know you meant. Not my partner. Yeah, partners in the plane. Yes, my partner right. in the plane. Right. Not my partner. It's not like Sean yeah. and I. No, no, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay, Sean, yeah. No. Gotcha. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, but no, no. Beautiful world out there. All right. So, so yes, go ahead. You go to like like if I don't book my own plane ticket, and the team does. It comes out of a budget. Do you bill the series? See, now for you're your gonna get me in trouble. We, none of this no, has to stay in the interview. In you can always tell us not to use it. We're going to use it anyway. You're going to use it. <laughs> yeah, everything. everything. I know you are. <laughs> so here's what I do. I go you're online. I figure out what an airline ticket 
cost. Yeah. And then I double it. Right. Yes. And then so I turn that private. in. That's not <laughs> what I do. That's not what I do. But I pocket the rest. So here's, I mean, this is the thing that's actually kind of interesting. It, it is an older airplane. It's in 1973. It's nice. Piper Arrow. And I do have a partner in the plane. Um, it costs less than any entry-level full-size SUV. So you can kind of figure out what that costs. Um, great airplane. Um not particularly fast, but it will get me where I want to go. 500-mile trips are perfect. Yeah. And around Columbus, Ohio, you can get anywhere. You can kind of everything. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of racetracks that I can get to. So what I actually do is I go online two weeks out, and I, air quote, buy a ticket. There are a couple of different airlines that if you're a frequent flyer members of, you can buy a ticket, and you've got 24 hours to cancel it. So I buy the ticket that I would fly. I look at extended weather forecasts, and I determine whether I can or whether I can't fly the plane. I'm not instrument rated yet. Um, so, and, and my pilot friends get on me about that. But anyway, so I look at the weather and I go, I will or I won't. And if I make the decision of I will, I quote, air quote, buy the ticket. Within 15 minutes, I have the receipt. And 16 minutes in, I canceled the ticket. So I have the receipt, and I go, this is what it would cost me on the airline. Right. And that's the receipt that I turn in. I got you. And if it costs me more than that, it costs me more. If it costs me less, it costs me less. Right. I flew to Lime Rock, and I flew into Poughkeepsie, because there's if, you, if, if you're an aviator and you look at airports around Lime Rock, there are not a lot of them. So yeah. I flew into Poughkeepsie, and... Um, Poughkeepsie was one of those lose-lose propositions <laughs> because it took me three hours to get to Poughkeepsie. It took me four hours and five minutes to get home because of the headwind. Mm -hmm. And the weather was crap after the race, and right. I had to spend the night in Poughkeepsie. So I had a hotel room right. plus seven hours of airtime. I should have just gotten on a commercial flight sure. and flown yeah. into Hartford. Sure. There have been other ones where – Is it cheaper? But I mean, once you add up, like – Kind of stationing the plane at the private airport. Yeah, I mean, fuel, all that. I mean it, it, it's rarely cheaper. Right. It's, it's oftentimes, I mean, I've had literally, I've had flights this year that are within a dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give totally, or take yeah. Sure. of what the airline ticket would have been. But yeah. VIR. Yeah. VIR, I That's could awesome. fly from Columbus into Danville. Danville. Yeah. Ah, and my, my nice. rental car comes to my little Who airplane and picks that? me up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no flying into Greensboro or Raleigh-Durham. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can fly into Sheboygan. Yep. Oh, yeah, there you go. And I, I, oh, I did that twice right. this and year. And Sheboygan's yeah. actually halfway between yeah. Sheboygan and the track. So yeah. if you're going straight to the track, it's really and close. With two kids, yeah. especially in the spring, the baseball games that I miss. I mean, you know, you look at, you look at VIR is a good example. Road America is the same way. It really doesn't matter what – time you finish on Sunday if you if you race on Sunday at Road America you're not getting home till Monday right and if the weather's good and all that I'm home Sunday night yeah, yeah. that's a baseball game on Monday or at least cooking breakfast for the boys on yeah. on Monday and the one thing that it doesn't matter if you're Lewis Hamilton and you're making however much money in the world that money will never buy you another day with your wife and buy you another day with your kid, buy you that ability to sit and watch that first home run or yeah. that throw down to second base and yeah. my 
catchers, you know, my since my kids are catchers, or that base hit or whatever, and to see that look in their eyes of saying, oh, you're going to be there for the game? Right. Yeah, yeah, I am. That's cool. Because you can get home. In addition to that, it's cool. The fact of the matter is, you're a race car driver. You want to fly an airplane? Mm. No? No. Nah. You're the only one I know that doesn't. It just doesn't do much for me. And it's funny because most of the people that I know that are either race car drivers or pilots, you can yeah. swap them. Right. Yeah. Because the, the two are very similar. You rely on not only what your instinct is, but what your knowledge is to sometimes overcome the instinct that right. is the wrong instinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's a matter of controlling your emotion and controlling this object and this and this deal. And it's funny, since I wanted to be a pilot first, before I stopped on the way back from a flying lesson into the heart of Texas Kart Club in Waco, Texas, yeah. to me the two are very much connected. So to be able to use the aviation to get from the racing back to my family is kind of cool and yeah, kind of full circle, full circle yeah, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. We do have to get rolling. I was going to say, they're literally yeah, vacuuming Yeah, yeah they're vacuuming. So. But I, I, one thing I didn't, we haven't asked is uh, your kids sound like they're pretty good baseball players. Why have they never carted? Or are they, or have no. they just not into it? No. You won't let it? Or no, they are I just, won't let no, it. No, yeah. really? No, 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 I mean, if you had kids, would you let them race? No. Oh. I mean, if they wanted to, I would let them do yeah. anything. But I definitely wouldn't say this is what I want you to do. Do, uh, do I think they could? Yeah. Is my oldest son interested in cars? Absolutely. Right. Here's what I don't want. I don't want my 17-year-old son to say, hey, Dad, I'm going to be a race car driver. I want my 17-year-old son who makes straight A's in high school and is in the STEM program yeah. to go become an engineer. Right. Right. And design cars or whatever and to have a life. Because I, I know the life, I know the motorsports life. I know the toll it takes on your family. I know the toll it takes on your marriage. I know the toll that it takes on your finances. It is this romantic, we called it, I, I called it a mistress earlier, and it is. And it's all the things that a mistress is. She gives and she takes. Yeah. She gives and she takes. Go more with takes. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, and there's yeah. more with takes. Yeah. Absolutely, there's more with takes. And it's like some of the coolest things I've ever experienced in my life have been involved in motorsports. I've been in, involved with motorsports. But some of the biggest heartbreaks I've ever had and some of the biggest disappointments I've had have been there as well. And I want to save my kids those heartbreaks. If they can find the highs by being involved in a different way, that's great. But it's been awesome for me. It's also been painful for me. And I don't want them to go through the pain. They have incredible opportunities in front of them in life. And this doesn't need to be that singular opportunity that's going to opportunity that's going to either make them or define them. So I'd prefer to keep it away from them. All right. Want me to close out? Dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's too late. It's yeah, too it's late. Too late. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, taking us to, where are we? Columbus, Ohio. No, the, what's the restaurant? Cantina Laredo. Cantina Laredo. 
You know Dario Franchitti, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's in the car and he's pissed. Yeah. He's got better hair than I do, and that's what pisses me off. Doesn't use any product. No. Doesn't use any product. I don't know what he uses. No, he doesn't use any product. No, he has to. Nope. Nope. He doesn't wash his hair then. He's got a certain amount of oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a body oil. Just that natural Naturally beautiful. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you? How dare you? Yeah. But he's waiting in the car right now. Hey, we got to go. Yeah. Connell's got the check. Huh? You like that, Brian Till? All right. Uh, thanks again to Brian for uh, taking the time. And uh, you can always tell that that guy is a proper racing instructor uh, just because of the way he articulates and kind of slows down and explains all of his methodology, even though we just want a goddamn good stories. So uh, anyway, love that guy. Always happy to see him in the paddock. Always happy to sort of work in the same atmosphere. So anyway, uh, let's get out of here with another new band submission. Uh, this one came from a group called Ruto. That's R-U-T-O. And uh, you can find them at their website at IamRuto.com. So that's I-A-M-R-U-T-O.com. And uh, this is a song called Skin Job. Skin Job. to the face I fell down with a fit of affection It's all misdirection Like a failing addiction Again and again You're the one that stays inside my head Every word that leads me to a pain It's your voice that's driving me insane And explains the beat inside this chair Treat her 